Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Love, we have to remember, is not predominantly a feeling. Although feelings are attached to it and sometimes they're more obvious than at other times, but it's, it's not primarily a feeling. If we think of it in terms of a feeling, we're going to come and say, well, you know, I'm not in love anymore. So love is not a feeling primarily. Love is an act of the will. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, in a message titled, Christ, the Church, Wives and Husbands. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so... Here we are. We come back to Ephesians. As most of you know, we're going through a study of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. We're in the fifth chapter, and we've come now to this section on family relationships, marriage, and so forth. So we're doing a series within a series. We just slowed down a little bit, and we're focusing uh, right now on this important topic of marriage. As you know, there's much talk among Christians today about the attack on marriage we see happening in our culture. And it's true that marriage as an institution is under attack by the secularist. But the more immediate problems in marriage have little or nothing to do with the humanist assault on marriage, and much more to do with the indifference, neglect, unforgiveness, abuse, infidelity that goes on right in the hearts and homes of couples, many of whom go to church regularly, but beyond that fail to apply God's word to themselves practically. So we can talk about the, you know, the issues in the culture with marriage and the attack upon marriage, but sometimes we ourselves are the ones who are really undermining the institution of marriage right under our own roofs. And so these passages that we're looking at, they're passages that speak specifically to this vitally important subject. As I was in preparation last night, as I just pause for a few minutes and I was, I came across this quote. I thought it was relevant to our topic today. It said this, the most rebellious countercultural thing you can do in our society is to be happily married until death do you part. And I thought, wow, you know, how appropriate it is and how relevant it is. And who would have ever thought that being happily married and being permanently married would become the unusual situation in our nation, but to a certain degree, that is where we've come to. Now, we're looking today specifically at the role of the husband. We looked previously at the role of the wife. And let me say this, I believe that the husband does in many ways 
hold the key to the marriage relationship. Now, granted, it takes two to have a good marriage, but the primary responsibility for the marriage is on the husband's shoulders. And out of all the marital counseling I've done over the years, I would have to say that not all, but the majority of cases and the majority of problems in marriages could be traced back to the husband's failure to really do what we're being instructed to do here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The tragic fact is that women are generally much more serious about their marriages than men are. Seen that over and over again. 80% of all literature on the subject is purchased by women. And women are most always the, the first ones to spot a problem in the relationship and the first ones to seek help. But it shouldn't be the case if we understand the marriage relationship from the biblical perspective because uh, the onus in the relationship is really put on the men. And so we see that here in these verses. Verse 25, let me read from 25 on through 32. Paul says here, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so hear those words, husbands love your wives. But before we dissect that, let me remind you once again that there's a bigger picture here. And Paul stated it as we have previously seen in verse 32. In verse 32, he says that this whole thing, this whole marriage thing is really, it's an illustration of Christ's relationship to the church. So husbands, we need to think in terms that go beyond just our own personal marital situation. We need to think of the bigger picture that I as a husband and my wife in relation to me and my family and so forth, all of this is a picture that God is seeking to use to illustrate to people his relationship and his love for his people. We need to, I think, keep going back and framing the whole marital relationship in in that frame. To me, it, it gives it even more, or it gives me even more of an impetus to, you know, I want to do this right. Because it's not only about my own personal experience, but it's about a much bigger thing. And so putting it in that frame, let's look at what Paul says. He says, husbands, love your wives. Now, as was pointed out, 
previously, this is the, the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word agape. Husbands, love your wives. Agape is the word that is being used here. The word, many people don't know this, but the word agape, the, the Greek word, was a word that wasn't the most common word in the Greek for love, although it was one word. It wasn't used all that often. And the Christians took the word and really sort of made it their word. And in a sense, brought definition to it. The word means love that springs from the preciousness of the object loved. So it's a love that is not seeking to get something in return. It's a love that is, is going forth simply because the, the, the object is precious. And so husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Why did Jesus love us? Well, it's not because he would get something back from it. In case you don't know this, God doesn't need anything. God does not need our love. God is perfectly and entirely fulfilled within himself. If he wasn't, he couldn't be God. He would, he would be deficient in some way. God has no deficiency whatsoever. So God didn't create people and then redeem us because he needed us to feel good. He did it just simply because we were precious to him without a cause. There was no cause other than our preciousness. So, so that's the love that Christ has for the church. That's the love that we as husbands are to have for our wives. I'm not loving my wife to get something back from her, although that does happen, but I'm loving her because she's precious to me. And so the word could also be understood as a love that gives without expectation of receiving something in return. Now, love, we have to remember, is not predominantly a feeling. Although feelings are attached to it and sometimes they're more obvious than at other times, but it's, it's not primarily a feeling. If we think of it in terms of a feeling, we're gonna be confused and we're gonna come and say, well, you know, I'm not in love anymore. So my love has run out and I think it's time for me to move on. Love is not a feeling primarily. Love is an act of the will. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you think as Jesus was making his way to the cross that he had warm, fuzzy feelings about that? He didn't. You can be assured of that. He was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. He was in anguish like nobody else has ever known, but this was his act of love as he was going to the cross. So let's get clear on this love as a feeling thing, because this is where so many people stumble. And I've personally heard it over and over again. Well, I, I'm no longer in love, which is translated, I no longer have the feelings that I once had for this person. When you took vows, you were vowing to be committed to that person, not based upon feeling, 
but simply based upon the fact that you were going to be faithful to that person that you were committing yourself to. And so love is an act of the will. It is not a feeling. Now, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So this love is a sacrificial love. It's a love that Jesus demonstrated for us in that he gave of himself. Now, we need to think back a little bit further even uh, from the cross because the cross is the, the final demonstration of his giving of himself. But remember, he began this whole process by leaving heaven and coming to earth. So he gave of himself there. He gave sacrificially. He gave away his privileges as God, and he condescends. He comes into this world. He comes as a man, not just coming as a man, although that's an extreme act of sacrifice, but he comes as a servant. And then as a servant, he actually gives up his life. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. So we have the example in Jesus. He gave himself. Now, giving of ourselves, sometimes we overlook the obvious or we overlook the most simple ways that we can do this. And we're thinking of it in the sense of, like Jesus gave his life, well, you know, as a husband, I might say to my wife, honey, you know, I'd give my life for you. I, I, I would lay down my life for you. If there was a speeding car coming by, I'd pull you out of the way and I'd let it kill me. That's how much I love you. And then your wife says, that is so sweet. Could, could we go to the mall today? Are you kidding? I'm not going to go to the mall. What are you talking? I hate them all. I'm not going shopping. I'll throw myself in front of a car for you, but I, 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 won't, I won't go down to South Coast Plaza. So, so sometimes, you know, we're talking about, you know, this great sacrificial love that I, I have. And, but then when we get the opportunity to, to demonstrate something that is far less a demonstration than that, we just, no, I can't do that. So giving, this whole thing of giving ourselves, it's very practical. It's very down to earth. And it starts with giving our time, giving our time, doing things and going places that your wife in, enjoys or desires, men. Now, listen, I want to say this uh, up front here. Here's the great news about all this stuff. The great news is that this is all happening in a, in a process. I don't know hardly anyone that gets this right all the time or got it right from the beginning. And this is the beautiful thing about it. It's, it's, we, ladies, listen, your husband, he's a work in progress. And you got to remember that. He's not going to get this stuff right all the time. And sometimes it's going to take uh, a while. But if you hang in there, and if you, you know, husband and wife both, you just, just be faithful. This, this is 
the growth and the development that takes place over time. And I can say that from experience, giving time, doing things and going places that my wife enjoys. When we were young, I didn't really think in those terms. I was the one who was gonna call the shots about what we were gonna do and when we were gonna do it and where we were gonna do it. And I didn't really consult her or consider her on those things. And after a while, you figure out this is not working that well. And so you have to make certain adjustments. And, but you begin to realize, you know, it's not all about me. Now, when, I, when Cheryl and I first got married, I, ha- I have to confess that in my mind, this is how developed my thinking was on marriage at the time, I just thought, you know, we're going to go to the beach. I'm going to surf. She's going to sit there and watch me. And then we'll go home and she'll make like a killer lunch and I'll eat it. And then I'll take a nap. And then at night we'll go to church. And in the morning I'll get up and read my Bible. And so Cheryl, for me in the early days, was, she was just like this really great helper that was going to come alongside and make a lot of things easier for me and a lot more pleasant with good meals and things like that. But I wasn't thinking in terms of, I'm going to be giving myself for her. And so when she started to say things like, well, I don't want to go to the beach. I don't want to sit there and watch you surf. I want to do something else. I'd be like, what? Are you kidding? I mean, what about all those things that you told me, like how much you wanted to marry a surfer and stuff? You got one. Look, here I am. And this is what we do. I could tell you so many horror stories, but you probably wouldn't like me anymore, so I'll, I'll keep them to myself. Giving of your time. It's not about us, although it's hard for us to face that fact. And, and just some of these things that are, are pretty simple, really. You know, they're relatively easy. They're, they're kind of small things, but it's the smaller things that add up. And see, this is what happens when you start to have a breakdown in a marriage. It's usually because there's an accumulation of things over a period of time where there's just been over and over again the same sort of self-centered behavior by the husband, the same refusal to take into consideration the sensitivity, the needs of the woman. And then finally, one day, the girl's just over it. It's like, you know, I can't do this anymore. So men, we have got to be on our toes with this. We need to give. Christ gave. Time is something that we need to give. We need to give our wives attention. We need to give attention. Now, this is, in my experience, this is largely a one-way street, but it's okay because God told the husbands to give, not the wives. Now, my wife, and I know some of you ladies, you've listened to her, and you've heard the stories about how I'm in love with my phone, and I, you know, spend all my time tweeting and texting and ignoring her and things like that. And I must confess that there are times when I seem to be doing that, but I'm not really doing that because I can multitask. I can listen to her. I can be attentive, and I can do that at the same time. She doesn't believe that's possible. But the reason it's a one-way street is because, honestly, if she picks up the phone and, and wants to do that sort of thing, and I even suggest that she should put it down and pay attention to me, well, that's offensive to her. 
How dare me say that? Because I do that all the time, so she should be able to do it anytime she feels like it as well. Uh, so it's a lopsided view, but nevertheless, it is what it is. And we have this little dispute <laughs> at least a couple of times a week. And Cheryl has concluded that my phone is just more exciting than her phone because she will grab my phone and she will spend 25 minutes looking at my pictures and my things. And I say, see, honey, the problem is just you have a boring uh, group of people that you're following. <laughs> you're beginning to understand why I have this obsession. So giving attention, <laughs> listening, communication, communication, every... Everybody almost who's married has heard this probably, but it's true. One of the big problems in marriages, one of the first places where there's a breakdown is communication. People don't communicate. They don't listen to each other. They oftentimes don't talk to each other. So in giving, we're giving of our time, and this is what we're doing. We're giving time to listen to one another. We're giving time to talk to one another. We're communicating with one another. And, you know, of course, men are similar, women are similar. You, you have, occasionally you find, you know, there, there's a man that in some ways is a little bit different than most guys. You know, he's sensitive, he's attentive, he's interested. Uh, but those are few and far between. Uh, most guys are <laughs> not like that. So I'll give you an example. I might say to Cheryl, so what happened today? And then for the next 30 minutes, she will give me a blow-by-blow account of all the things that happened that day, very detailed descriptions of things that happened. So then in turn, she says to me, well, what happened to your day? Oh, nothing. I don't know. A couple things. I kind of forgot them already. So... Uh, you know, she's like, can, can you be more descriptive? I mean, come on, something more than that happened today. Yeah, it did, but I, I just can't remember. I can't, I don't think that way. She's amazing at details, and I'm not. But these are the kinds of things that you, like I said, we're, we're in a process, and there's time, and you start figuring these things out after a while. I've talked to couples who get married, and after a year, they're thinking, okay, this marriage can never last because we are so different than each other. But the fact of the matter is, in the long run, those differences end up being important things where you complement one another. But back to the husband giving of himself, giving attention to our wives. I mean, we need to be attentive. We need to, to listen. We need to be Concern. We need to hear the things that they're saying to us. Because sometimes they can say something and we hear it audibly, but we don't really hear it. We don't, we're not paying close enough attention to know that there really is something here that needs to be understood. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. A great book that I recently read was the book called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. 
And this is written by a young man named Gavin Ortland. And he is a brilliant writer. And this book deals with the subject of Christian unity. It just seems like so often we're divided up over theological issues. And many times we are dividing over things that don't really matter in the big picture. And so the title kind of indicates that, finding the right hills to die on. We don't want to die on every hill. There are certain things, obviously, we need to stand and fight for certain essential doctrines. So this book kind of puts in perspective what the priorities are. And so I highly recommend Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. You can order the book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.